Hi, Michelle Florendo here, and welcome to Ask a Decision Engineer. Listen in and find out how to untangle big decisions with less stress and more clarity. In this season of Ask a Decision Engineer, I'm focusing on some of the basics of how to approach decision-making, including the three different components of any decision, your objectives, your options, and what information you have on how the two intersect. Today, we're going to be diving into options. What are they? Why are they important? What is it that many people get wrong about this element of decision-making? And what can you do about it? Options, or the different paths that you can choose among, tend to be the most familiar part of decision-making. Often, we are led to believe that decision-making is just about choosing among various options. But really, digging deep into options is important because, as one of my mentors, Srinivas Rao, host of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, says, you don't have to choose from the options in front of you. Think about it. What would the world look like if people only chose from the obvious options in front of them? There wouldn't be creatives. There wouldn't be innovators. There wouldn't be entrepreneurs. When people are at a stalemate in negotiations, there wouldn't be a path forward. And there definitely wouldn't be any win-win situations where all parties involved actually end up better. So it's really important to not only acknowledge the obvious options, but also to put a little bit of energy into figuring out what other options exist. I'll expand on what Srini said by saying, the biggest lie we've been led to believe is that the options we've been given are the only ones we have. So let's talk about what I've seen many people get wrong when it comes to options. One of the first things I see people get wrong about options is this fallacy of no choice. You're probably familiar with that. Can you remember a time when you've been in a conversation with someone and they said, well, I had no choice but to blankety blank blank. Whenever I hear someone say that they had no choice, there's usually one of two things going on. Often, they did have a choice, but... Other options were just clearly not as desirable. For example, I'm recording this episode in the middle of the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, and there's a lot of uncertainty happening in the economy. And I was talking to someone who was thinking about the prospect of accepting an offer for a new job. And he said, you know what, at the end of the day, I feel like I have no choice but to accept the offer given the current uncertain environment. Again, he does actually have a choice here. He could choose to decline, but declining comes with a risk of not finding something better or finding something at all. And so when you hear yourself saying, I had no choice, really explore, is that true? Or did you really have other choices that were very undesirable. By taking the time to identify those other options that you're not even considering because they're so undesirable, it gives you a window into what is it that's really important to you. In the case of this person that I was coaching, security was important. 
And once you identify what is that objective that's really taking a priority here, then you can reframe that inner narrative and say, I am choosing this option because security is paramount to the rest of the objectives I have. The second thing that could be happening when someone says, I have no choice, is maybe they really didn't have any options and thus were not actually facing a decision. What that means is that they weren't actually focusing on where they had agency or where there was a decision to be made. At the end of episode one of the first season of this podcast, I had talked about a health challenge that I faced, and to be honest, still am facing to this day. And I remember when I was given the news that I had a growth in my throat and the doctors had no idea what it was and would not know until they got me on an operating table, there was no action for me to take. I didn't have any options yet in terms of doing something that would remedy my health situation. And so what I did was refocus on where is it that I did have control? In that moment of feeling like there was so much outside of my control, what I could control was how I related to that point in time. And so I thought about, well, okay, how do I want to move through this? And there I knew I had a choice in how I could respond. I could respond with overwhelming fear. I could continue to go about my day-to-day business until I had more information and did have options that I could choose among. Or I could even take a step back and think about You know, how is it that I can make the most of this moment so that when I look back on this point in time, I could be grateful for it? To be honest, that is a decision that I still face every day. But like I've said before, decisions don't have to be one and done. It's something that you can continue to calibrate. And so for me, there are some days when I make one choice about how I'm going to respond to my condition, there are other days when I make another choice and continue accordingly. So to wrap up this piece around fallacy of no choice, what I want you to keep in mind is that recognizing where you have a choice changes the frame of how you're feeling. From feeling like you have no control to identifying how and where you do. And just doing that can help reduce the stress involved with that situation. The second thing that I see people make mistakes around when it comes to options is just looking at binary options. And that's when you're just thinking about, do I or don't I? Do I do this or do I not? And oftentimes decisions are not just binary. I remember earlier this year, a few months ago, I was coaching someone who was evaluating the decision of, should I stay or should I go when it came to his current job? Now, when we dug into things, what we found was those were not the only options on the table. He could, yes, stay. He could leave. Or he could also talk to his boss and his organization about a different type of option. 
whether it was moving into a new role or taking on more consulting work instead of being an employee. In a previous episode this season, I talked about how there's research out there that supports the fact that expanding beyond binary choices actually improves your likelihood of a positive result. So when you're facing a decision and you see that you're currently only evaluating binary options, yes or no, do or don't, take a moment to expand beyond those options. It can be useful to start with your objectives and the livable ranges within those objectives. What could it look like to dial each objective up or down? And what types of options could enable you to do that? The third mistake that people make when it comes to options is thinking that more is always better. Sure, I just spent a section talking about how you do want to generate more options than just two. You do want to go beyond the binary. However, there does come a point where more options is not actually better and can even be worse. One famous example of this is the JAM study run by Sheena Iyengar and Mark Lepper. In their study, they set up a table with different jams that you could sample in a local grocery store. On some days, there were 24 different types of jam that you could sample. On other days, there were six different types. What they found was that on the days when they offered 24 different choices of jam to sample, even though shoppers did sample the jams, they were 10 times less likely to actually buy a jam than if there were only six options to sample from. What they found was that when people are presented with too many options, they go into overwhelm and paralysis and end up avoiding making a decision in the end. Not only do more options make us less likely to act, more choices can even make us less satisfied with the choice we eventually make. In the book, Paradox of Choice, psychology professor Barry Schwartz makes the case for why the explosion of choice and the obsession with choosing the best choice leaves us more anxious and unhappy than if we had fewer options to choose from. So if you're one of those people who puts off decision-making because you're still looking for more options, looking for more options, know that having too many options is not actually a good thing. All right, let's recap. So I've talked about three different mistakes people can make when it comes to the options component of any decision. There's this fallacy of no choice. Sometimes people get stuck in just looking at binary options, do I or don't I, while others may keep pursuing more and more and more choices, even though that doesn't actually have a positive impact on their ability to make a decision or their satisfaction with the end decision. So what can you do? One, when you're looking at your options, take time to reflect on what are the real options here? Are there ones that you are ignoring? Also, if many things seem out of your hands, how is it that you might reframe your decision to really identify where you do have options? If you're stuck in the binary, think about what can you do to generate additional viable options? How can you move the dials on your mixer of objectives to dial things up or dial things down? 
Lastly, if you're one of those people who tends to spend too much time searching for more and more and more and more options, see if you can take a divergent and then convergent approach. What I mean by that is set a limit on the amount of time that you'll engage in divergent thinking, the brainstorming phase of seeking out a number of different options. Then flip the switch and spend some time converging, narrowing down your options. When I've collaborated with the Life Design Lab at Stanford in their decision-making module of the Designing Your Life course, that's a part of the process that they like to focus on. And part of creative and innovative thinking is doing the divergent thinking and then the convergent thinking, brainstorming and then narrowing. But the key here is to keep them separate. Because if you try to generate options at the same time that you are evaluating and narrowing them down, all you'll feel is stuck. I hope this episode has shown you that even though most of society focuses on decision-making as simply the picking between the choices, there are a lot of different things you can do to improve the quality of your decisions by really digging into how you're looking at your options. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you know of someone who might benefit from learning more about how to make good decisions, please send them a link to our website, askadecisionengineer.com. The website, askadecisionengineer.com, is also the place to go if you're interested in more resources on decision-making or would like to submit a question to potentially be answered on a future episode. Again, this is Michelle Florendo from Ask a Decision Engineer. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.